All right, we've been doing a study in the book of Ephesians, but tonight I want to talk a little bit about Christmas. Love uh, to uh, look at the Christmas story and study about Christmas from the Bible. I'm kind of a facts kind of guy. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like a study, study the word, study what the Bible says, and then communicate it kind of guy. Uh, I don't really wax eloquent, you know, with funny stories and stuff like that, which is all right. I, I, you know, if people can do that and communicate the word in that way, I'm all for it. Um, but I want to share with you tonight, it's not really original with me. I have a friend who's by the name of Joe McKeever. Now, Joe's been a Southern Baptist forever. I don't know how old Joe is. Uh, he was at one time the director of missions for the New Orleans Baptist uh, Association. Uh, he's an older man now. Uh, but he's, he's a sketch artist. He's a pastor. He's a preacher. But he, he's also a sketch artist. And what he'll do is he'll go into churches and he'll preach and teach. And then he'll take forever how long it takes. He'll sit down and he'll sketch people's portraits. And he's great. He does a beautiful job. And uh, it's, it's a way of ministry. And sometimes he'll just go into town, sit down somewhere, and ask people, would you like to have a portrait? And he can produce one lickety-split. Uh, he's quite an amazing guy. But he's also a wonderful preacher of the Word of God. And I ran across this the other day, and I wanted to share it with you. Eleven things about the Christmas story that you may have missed. It's kind of interesting, you know, to some of the, you know, we, we, we're so familiar with the Christmas story, you know, from Luke and from Matthew. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you, you can be so familiar with something that you skip sometimes things that are obvious or you necessarily don't notice things uh, that maybe we should notice. And uh, I thought it was, it was quite interesting, kind of fill in the gaps of the Christmas story for us. Now, one of the traditions we have when we have our whole family get together is me being the pastor of the flock, the whole flock. Uh, one of the things that my mama always, when she hosted our Christmas get togethers was to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter two. And so that's, that falls to me. And, uh, Beautiful story. In fact, we're going to preach on that Sunday morning. We're going to look at that. But I thought I'd just share with you 11 things about the Christmas story that you may have missed. And I added a couple from what Joe was talking about. First of all, here's something very interesting. Now, these are kind of just scattered a little bit. But, uh, you know, since it's Christmas time, maybe good things to think about. Here's the first one. Think about this. Joseph... The husband of Mary has no speaking lines in the Christmas story. The earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no recorded words of Joseph in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? You know, we're told that, that Joseph had a dream. You know, and I, I, try to, I try to play these things out in the cinematic scope of my mind and picture how these things worked. Joseph probably was a little older than Mary, maybe not much more. Catholics say that he was married beforehand and he had children with his first wife. There's no evidence of that, and that is not true. 
uh, Joseph and Mary got married and they had no relations until the Bible says Jesus was born. Uh, but Joseph and Mary, you know, they got married or they were going to get married. They got engaged. Now, how they did engagement back then, you know, people get engaged now and they say they set the date for their wedding and then they have all that time to get all the stuff together. And, you know, it's, you know, it's what they do. Well, in that day, they had what they call a betrothal ceremony where the prospective bride and the groom would come together and they would have this like pre-wedding ceremony where they where they committed themselves to each other. They then became betrothed to one another. Now, it's different from engagement in this for one of them to break the betrothment to each other. They would have to get a divorce as if they were married. Uh, it was kind of like a legally binding commitment to get married. And so Mary and Joseph had gone through that betrothal time. Now, it was usually about a year between the time of betrothal until the time they completed the ceremony and had the wedding and that kind of thing. During that year, the husband-to-be, he would get the house ready you know, for the couple, and he would get everything together. He would do all that kind of stuff. He'd make arrangements for the living quarters, and he would take that year, and, you know. And then the, the parents of the bride would get together the, the dowry, her contribution, what she would bring into the marriage. And so during that year, it was an exciting time for the couple, but they did a whole lot. So Mary and Joseph were betrothed to one another. And I imagine, you know, like lovebirds, like lovebirds do, I'm sure they would often get together and talk and giggle and walk and hold hands. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, like lovebirds do. And then one day Joseph went to the house, knocked on the door. Mary's mama came to the door and said, I want to see Mary. And Mary's mama said, she ain't here. And I said, well, where is she? She's gone to the hill country of Judea. She's left town. She went to see her kinswoman, Elizabeth. Joseph, well, she didn't tell me anything about this. Mary's mom said, I know, it was kind of sudden. And so what Mary did was she left her home in Galilee. She went down because the angel Gabriel said, your kinswoman who was said to be barren is now great with child. Of course, Elizabeth being her kid, that means, by the way, physically, humanly, John the Baptist and Jesus were related. You know, in the physical sense, in the human sense. But she left there. If anybody, who is Mary going to tell? Was she going to go to her mom and say, hey, mama, you know, last night I was washing dishes and the angel Gabriel came to me and told me that I was going to have a child without knowing a man. And that child was going to be the Savior. Now, if there was an insane asylum of that day, Mary's mama may have stuck her in it. I mean, who's going to believe that? Was she going to go to a rabbi and say, Rabbi, the angel Gabriel appeared to me last night and told me that I was going to have a child without having relations with a man. The rabbi wouldn't believe that. The townspeople wouldn't believe that. Joseph wouldn't believe it. You know, she didn't. She didn't. <laughs> Bless her heart. She's a little 16-year-old girl, and she is all alone except for God. 
And Gabriel told Mary about Elizabeth in order to help Elizabeth understand there was somebody in the world who would listen. And that was Elizabeth, her kinswoman. Because Elizabeth was with child. And her child was a miracle child, not in the sense that it was a virgin birth or anything like that, but Elizabeth was old and her husband, Zacharias, were old, and yet in their old age, they were having a baby. Estimates are that that Elizabeth could be in her 80s. Now, can you imagine being an 80-year-old woman with child? And so... Mary leaves and she goes down to the hill country. And Luke records that for us. And when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth, John the Baptist did a somersault in her womb. And Elizabeth made that statement. She knew what was happening. And then then after John the Baptist was born, Elizabeth comes back home. And by then, she's showing Mary, I'm sorry, Mary come back. And by then she's showing. And then the word gets around. Mary's been unfaithful. You know. Ask Joseph, is that your child? No, that's not my child. And the word gets around. And see, Joseph, then, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? Is he going to divorce Mary? Is he going to bring great shame on Mary? He, he said, I can't... Joseph's a righteous guy. He can't marry Mary under the circumstances. In his heart, he doesn't feel like he can do that. So what is he going to do? And he went to bed one night and he was all upset, wondering, what am I going to do? I love Mary. I want to protect Mary. I don't want her exposed to the, to the charge of adultery. She could be stoned to death. I can't marry her under these circumstances. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then Joseph had a dream. And the Lord told Joseph what was happening. And I can see in my mind's eye him getting up, running down to the house, knocking on the door. Mary's mama comes to the door. I got to talk to Mary. Come on in. Bless your heart. And he goes and finds Mary and takes her little old hands and his rough old hands of a carpenter. And he says, honey, I understand. (laughs) And then they went ahead and completed the vow and became husband and wife. But in all of that, we don't have one word recorded recorded that Joseph ever said. Isn't that interesting? Here's another thing. Mary, while Joseph didn't speak, Mary is a thinker. Twice we are told in the Christmas story. Once when Gabriel made the announcement to her that she was going to have a child. And another time when the shepherds came into apparently the stable after she had given birth to Jesus. On two of those occasions, the Bible says Luke records that Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. I say that's why we know that Luke talked with Mary long after, long after this, when Mary's an old woman. Luke talked with her because how else would Luke know that Mary pondered these things? That's a personal reflection. 
And the word ponder, me, the word ponder is an interesting word. It means to dip in a well. Ain't that interesting? The word ponder, you go back, 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 back to its original meaning. It means to dip in a well. In other words, Mary was dipping deep into her heart, thinking about these things. Mary is an exception. Mary is one of the greatest heroes in all of the Bible. She's just a 16, 17-year-old girl. What she went through, what she experienced, her faith in God was remarkable. Joseph, when God told him to do something, Joseph didn't think about it. He did it. God said, take Mary to be your wife. You know, reveal what was happening. Joseph went. He did it. He didn't ask. He didn't question. Mary pondered things. She thought about things. She kept these things in her heart. She thinks through things. She even dared to ask Gabriel, well, how's this going to happen, seeing I don't know a man? She's a thinker. They make a pretty good combination. Joseph the doer. Mary the thinker. Then she does. And so Mary, this young girl, remarkable. One of the greatest heroes in all the Bible. Now, we don't worship Mary. You know. And Catholics, you know. And I have good Catholic friends. I love them. And some of them are truly saved. Some of them, you can. Um, but, but Catholics, you know. They say, we don't worship Mary, we adore her. Ah, that's semantics. They do actually worship Mary. See, the idea is, and I'm not getting on Catholics or anything like that, but the idea is you pray to Mary, you tell Mary what you want her to tell Jesus, and then Mary will take your request to Jesus. Now, is that biblical? No, not at all. Actually, it comes out of syncretism, where in the early, early Christian history, you know, all pagan religions had a male and a female God, a God and a goddess. You had a lot of people who came into Christianity who were never converted and brought a lot of pagan ideas into Christianity. And so what they did was they have Jesus and then they paired Jesus with a female goddess figure, Mary. It's all corruption and it's not biblical. You don't worship Mary. But you do admire her tremendously. This is a teenage girl with tremendous courage. Here's another thing that you may have missed. And maybe y'all didn't miss this. After the angels made their announcement to the shepherds, the angels didn't command the shepherds to do anything. You know, the shepherds, they're out keeping their flock, watching their flock at night. Now, by the way, that's an indication of the time of the year that Jesus was born. The, the shepherds didn't keep their flocks at night out on the hillside during the winter wet months. Okay? That was either a spring or late fall thing. When the weather was warm enough and, and it was safe enough to keep your flock out in the fields at night. And so these shepherds, which probably means that Jesus was probably born sometime in the spring. He, he, most likely Jesus was not, well, we pretty well know he was not born on December 25th. You say, well, should we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You need to celebrate it sometime of the year. Don't we need to celebrate the birth of our Lord sometime of the year? 
The early church began to do that out of a, out of a reaction to a Roman holiday called the Roman holiday of Saturnella which was a pagan holiday that the Romans celebrated and they exchanged gifts. And it was kind of like a, you know, it was kind of like a celebration that they had. And the Christian church says, we need to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We'll take that time of the year and we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. Nobody knows the day, the exact day. But the angels are out keeping their watch over, you know, watch of their flocks by night. And here comes that shepherd. Now, I mean, here comes an angel. Now, shepherds, shepherds were, uh, they were kind of unskilled labor. They were looked down upon. Because of what they did, they were always ceremonially unclean. They were always around dead animals. They were always, always around feces. They were always having to deal with unclean things, which made them unclean to go into the temple to worship. And it was unskilled labor. And if you couldn't find anything else to do for a living, you became a shepherd. And so they were out. You know, they, these are uneducated generally. These were, these were kind of low people in the strata of society. And they had the sheep bedded down. And they had the dogs. They had sheep dogs, even back then. And they had guards. And they were watching the flock and that kind of thing. And then the... The countryside lights up, and here comes this angel <laughs> to these shepherds. And they, the angel makes that pronouncement unto you this day in the city of David. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly with the angel, there appeared unto them a host of heavenly angels saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace, goodwill toward men. The first Christmas cantata, as old Jerry Clary used to call it. But you know, it's interesting. The angels never told the shepherds to go find the baby. They just made the announcement. But then the, when they were gone, the shepherds said, We need to go see this business. You know, we need to go. And so basically, here's my theory. It's hallology. I have hallology. Now, when you get to heaven and it's wrong, don't blame me. Just blame my imagination. Angels are messengers. They're servants of God. Angels are observing what's going on. Jesus has been born. He's born in a stable. He's born in Bethlehem. But nobody knows it. Nobody knows it but Mary and Joseph. The most momentous moment in human history has occurred. And no one knows it. And so I think the angels got together, went to the Father and said, Father, we need to tell somebody. Somebody needs to know what's happening. We need to tell somebody. And so the Father said, okay. We ain't gonna fool with Caesar because he's a degenerate, evil, tyrant. Not gonna fool with the high priest. They don't believe in nothing. I tell you what you do. You see those shepherds down there? Go tell the shepherds. <laughs> and they did. The angels had to tell somebody. And so God got a welcoming committee for Jesus. And those shepherds, they just left their flock. They may have left the youngest dude in charge, but he didn't stay there. 
After what he saw, after all the older shepherds ran off, he ran off too with them. They just left the flock. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now the angels never told them where to look, where to find the baby. Bethlehem's not a large village. The baby was born that night. So you got a newborn baby. It's been wrapped in swaddling clothes, soft cloth. When, when, they, when they had a baby back then, what they do, they take the baby, they wash the baby off, then they rub the baby with salt. A salt solution, not harsh. You know, kill the bacteria of the baby. Then they would take soft cotton strips and they would wrap it, wrap it around the baby to secure the child, to keep the child from scratching itself with its fingernails, to secure it and to give it warmth. That's what poor people did. They wrapped up their child. So they had these clues. Go to Bethlehem, find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in an animal food trough. <laughs> Seriously. The first crib was an animal food, crop, uh, food trough. So they go, the shepherds go to Bethlehem. They're knocking on doors. I said, have you seen a newborn baby tonight? Does he know anything about a baby born tonight? They don't know where to go. Finally, they knocked on the door of that old inn, and the Mrs. Innkeeper come to the door and said, we have no room. Said, no, no, we're looking for a newborn baby, a baby born tonight. Oh, yeah, there's a girl out there by the, the, in the stable. I think she was having her baby. She might have had her baby. See, we get the idea that this is not human. This is all human. These are human beings. And we read, read, read the scripture and we get the idea that somehow it's a cinematic, it's a motion picture. No, this is humanity. How would you react? That's how they reacted. And so they go and they walk in there and Mary's sound asleep. She's 16 years old. She's just made an 80 mile journey walking or riding a donkey. She's just had a baby at 16 years of age. She is absolutely slapped, wore out. She's wrapped up that baby. That baby's been fed. That baby's asleep in that food trough right beside her where she's laying. Joseph's over in the corner. He is a wreck. He is an absolute wreck. He is worn out. He's worn to a frazzle. He's laying in the corner. And here comes these old rough-looking shepherds, and Joseph jumps up, and he's got his staff, and he's ready to go to war, protect that baby. And, his, and Mary, Mary wakes up. The shepherds begin to tell what happened, and I can hear Mary now. Joseph, put that thing down before you hurt somebody. <laughs> right? That's what my savers would say. You're going to hurt somebody with that. Put that thing down. Let him come in. And the shepherds worshipped the baby and told Mary and Joseph. See, it was an affirmation. Mary and Joseph had to be beside themselves. Here we are. You're the mother of the Messiah. And the best I can do to find a place where this baby can be born is a stable. Are you kidding me? I'm such a disappointment to God. I have failed God. But that visit and that message was an affirmation. No. All is well. Amen. Ain't God good? 
And so they worship the baby. Here's another thing. The wise men were not kings. Now I know we sang we three kings, but the wise men were not kings and there were not just three of them. The wise men were magi. They were a part of the educated class of Persia. Uh, Sunday night in my Sunday night thing, I'm preaching on the, the, wise, uh, the wise men. Fascinating. They, they, were in, they were in Persia. They were advisors to the king of Persia. And they were, they were learned men. They were university professors. They studied cultures. They, they studied people. They, they loved knowledge and they loved to understand and study you know, how people were living. And they advised the kings. And one of the ways they advised the king was, kings was they, they thought that the skies at night, the stars would be embedded in the stars, would be messages from the gods to give to the king. And so they would study the stars. And one night they were studying the stars and on the western horizon, there was the star. They had never seen a star like that. It was just there. All of a sudden, the star. And they had charted the skies. They had charted the stars. And they got together and said, what, what, what is that? Maybe it's a comet. It'll probably be gone tomorrow. The next night, it was still there. And it was getting brighter. Hmm. And the next night, and the next night, and the next night, the star, all the stars were moving through the sky. That star was staying at one spot. And they got together and said, this, what is this? They did the calculations and they calculated that star was over the land of Israel. They said, well, let's go to the library. They went to the library, checked, you know, about Israel. And they found out one of the greatest magi who had ever lived was a guy from Israel. His name was Daniel. And Daniel had written, he had given a calculation from the time that it was given, an order was given by the king to rebuild the walls of, of uh, Jerusalem. 482 years later, a king would be born. Gave that exact number. They did their calculations. That number matched. The star is there. They say, that star must mark where this king is going to be born, this great king. We have to tell our king so we can go and celebrate the birth of this amazing king that is to be born. And so they made that trip. Now, by the time they got to Israel, uh, Jesus was at least 45 days old. We know that because of, of Mary's purification that Luke records. A woman, when she had a, 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 a female child, eight days you go and have the child circumcised and you name the child. 45 days later, the, the woman would go and present a, a sacrifice for her purification. All the blood flow would be gone and that kind of thing. And she would present an offering for purification so that she could again participate in the religious life of Israel. And that had happened. So we know it was at least 45 days after Jesus was born that the wise men actually came. Now we have them coming that night that Jesus was born. But the thing about that is that, that, 
that the Bible says when the wise men came that night, Joseph had a dream to take Mary and the child and go to Egypt. So under that scenario, Mary would have traveled from Israel, had a baby, and the next day got up and went to Egypt. No, that didn't happen. So it was probably two to three months after Jesus was born that the wise men came the Bible says, Matthew says that when they came, he was not in the stable. He was in the house. He was in the oikos, the house, which probably means that Joseph either had you know, relatives in Bethlehem or somehow, somehow worked out a way to get out of the stable to have him rent a house. Mary and Joseph didn't know what to do. Okay, the baby's been born. Are we supposed to go back home? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to stay here? Joseph said, well, I got a little money. Let's rent a place until God tells us. <laughs> See, this is humanity. This is humanity. And then one day, knock at the door, Joseph opens the door, and there's all these magi, a whole caravan of them. There were not just three. There was all probably a whole caravan of them and the soldiers everything and they said we have followed the star and we want to see the king and they came in and the bible says they bowed and they worshiped the child not the newborn but the child gold frankincense and myrrh very expensive things symbolic things about the ministry of jesus Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That night, Joseph has a dream. Herod wants to kill the kid. You better uh, kill the child. You better get out of there. So they went to Egypt. How did they finance? How did Joseph, who had very limited financial resources, how did he finance a stay of maybe two years in Egypt? How did he have the money to do that? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God provided the resources for that. So the wise men were magi. And there was probably more, you know, than three. This story is so fascinating. And the thing is, it's true. It's not a made-up story. It's not from a Hollywood script. It's true. Another interesting thing is, and I'm hurrying, head knowledge is not sufficient. The wise men first came to Jerusalem. Where else is a king going to be born? You know, they lost sight of the star. They came to Jerusalem and they went to the king as representatives of the king of Persia. And they said, we have come to worship him who was born king of the Jews. Herod's a nutcase. Herod is a nutcase. He's a jealous nutcase. He had his wife killed because he suspected her of treason. I'm sorry, he had his favorite wife. He had many. He had his favorite wife killed. He had two or three of his sons killed because he suspected them of treason. He's an absolute nutcase. He's a tyrant. He's a nutcase. He's so evil. The people hated him. He knew they hated him. So he gave orders that when he died, soldiers were to go into Jerusalem and kill the leading people of the city so that when he died, there wouldn't be a celebration, but there would be mourning. Herod's a terrible guy. But he feigns, you know, and he goes to the religious leaders. So these guys have come. They said the Messiah has been born. Can you tell me about that? 
and these religious leaders looked in uh, in the Old Testament prophet Micah and said that Bethlehem was the place where the child was to be born. They told Herod, he told the the wise men, and said, when you find the child, come and get me and I'll come and worship. Lying like a dog. Knew that he wasn't going to do that. My question is, why didn't the religious leaders go to Bethlehem? They had all the knowledge they needed. They knew where the baby was, the Messiah was to be born. Why didn't they go? None of them went. In fact, when Mary had Jesus, nobody was there. Even in that day, you had a midwife. There's no record of a midwife being in there. In fact, Luke makes it very clear that she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger. In other words, Mary is the subject of that. And Mary did it all by herself. And all she had was an old carpenter. Place his heart to help her. They had, they had the knowledge to know where to go, but they didn't go. There are a lot of people who will believe the facts about Christianity. A lot of people who believe the facts about Christmas, the facts about Jesus, but they're not saved because believing the facts is not enough. You talk to people and say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I believe. And what they're saying is, I believe in my head all the facts of everything you believe. But they're still not saved. Because you can believe in your head, but until you're willing to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ, you are not saved. You can believe all you want to up here, but until you're willing to believe here. And make a commitment to Christ. You're not saved. A lot of people will miss heaven by 18 inches. The approximate distance from the head to the heart. The Romans Road of Salvation says it is with the heart man believeth. It is with the heart we believe. And the heart is the center of our will. We make a commitment to Christ. Here's, all right, I'm through. There's a great intrigue into this story. Gosh, you read this story. On one hand, heaven opens, angels are heralding the arrival of God's Son on earth. On the other hand, you got the forces of of hell attacking the child, trying to kill the child. You got heaven opening and you got hell responding. And the battle's been raging ever since. Another thing, too, the prosperity gospel stumbles at this story. And all those guys that will tell you, you know, if you do this, you'll have, name it, claim it, and all that stuff. Mary and Joseph were dirt poor. Nothing in the, the Bible indicates otherwise. They were just dirt poor people. You know. And there are all kinds of people involved in the story. You have the young and the old. You have Mary, Joseph, the baby. Then you have Simeon and Anna. You have the rich and the poor. You have the Magi. You have the young family. You have Jews and Gentiles. Magi were non-Jews. You have the highest angels. You have the lowest shepherds. Another thing, telling the story is a privilege. Mary, telling the gospel is a privilege. Mary and Joseph apparently didn't tell nobody. It was too personal. 
Bless their hearts. The shepherds heard. They went, found the baby. They told everybody. Telling the story is a privilege. We need to tell the story. And finally, what uh, what Dr. McKeever says, Jesus did no miracles in his boyhood. Jesus didn't do miracles until he started his ministry. He was just a common, apparently from what everybody could tell, he was just a common everyday kid, just another. Now he was exceptional, absolutely. There was no one like him, that is true. No one can match him in who he was. But Jesus didn't go around as a little boy doing miracles. And, you know, you, you sometimes you, you find these pseudo-gospels that talk about Jesus, you know, and he did miracles when he was a kid and all that. No, he didn't. He didn't do miracles until he began his ministry. And then he did those miracles for the purpose of alleviating suffering among mankind, but also for the purpose of validating the truth of who he was. If he could cause a man to walk, he can save his soul. Amen. So that's the Christmas story. I love the Christmas story. Amen. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's real. It's humanity. You know, Joseph, he was so frustrated. Mary's afraid. Mary didn't have her mom and daddy with her. She didn't have her mom and daddy with her. Bless her little old heart. Bless her heart. She's out there all by herself under these circumstances. It's dark. She's in a stable. She's having a baby. And poor old Joseph, he don't know nothing about birthing no babies. He's a carpenter for heaven's sakes. He's running around like, what I do next? What? I mean, this is humanity. And out of that humanity came Jesus. Oh, thank God for the true meaning of Christmas. You know, I, you know, I, sometimes people, I, I'm not opposed, opposed to Santa Claus or anything like that. In fact, I played Santa Claus one time. I had a, I had a lady in Baxley who ran an Ace Hardware. This was many years ago. And she had booked this guy to be Santa Claus at her store. Well, he didn't show up and she called everybody. And finally she called her pastor. And said, Brother Chris, I need a Santa Claus. I said, okay. So like a dummy, I agreed. I dressed up in that thing and put the, you know, the pillow in and all that. (laughs) I was the worst Santa Claus in human history. But the kids didn't seem to mind, you know. And, you know, if, if they want to have Santa Claus at the mall, I don't care. They want to have it at Walmart. I don't care. I don't care. You know, people want to have Santa Claus in their house. I don't care. That's, that's got nothing to do with me. But here's what I do believe. If there's one spot on the face of the earth that should be exclusively reserved for the true meaning of Christmas, it should be the church. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? If there's one place on the face of this earth that is reserved for exclusively for the true meaning of Christmas, it should always be the church. That's what I believe. And I'm sticking to it.